So I want to do something, I'm going to do something a little different uh, this morning than uh, maybe the most, uh, the more traditional sermon. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, many times, many of you know that I travel a lot for work. And, um, you know, I get to go see lots of really interesting, cool places when I travel. I've seen uh, airports and airplanes and hotel rooms and conference rooms all over the world. Uh, so, you know, people are like, oh, you're going to Hawaii. That's great. I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen a conference room in Hawaii yet. So, um, you know, I can assure you, uh, by the way, that this is not where faith lives in these pictures because that is not my happy face there. But um, every once in a while, uh, every once in a very long while, one of those business trips, I get to go somewhere new. Um, and I actually get a little bit of time to do something. Uh, and recently, one of those trips was to Israel, and I had never been to Israel before, and so I was pretty excited about that because I'd never seen conference rooms in Israel before. Um, but uh, it was kind of neat in that, of course, we're being uh, we're talking with Israelis uh, in the defense industry, and uh, they're obviously mostly Jewish. And one of, the, one of the, the gentlemen comes up to me and he says, hey, are you going to go to Jerusalem while you're here? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, no, there's no conference rooms in Jerusalem. But, um, you know, he, he says, uh, you should really try. It's a really, you know, most people find it a, a very, you know, very um, uh, touching place to go uh, and see. And uh, keep in mind, of course, this man is, is Jewish, not Christian. And, and he's betting that I'm Christian, of course. Um, and, uh, he says, uh, why don't you, if you can rearrange your meetings, let me know. I will set up a tour for you and we'll get you to Jerusalem while you're here. And so I was just really taken back by that, that he went out of his way to do that. And I was like, heck yeah, I'm doing that. So we rearranged the meetings and we got a half day, the last day, a half day. And he set up a, a personal tour guide for us and they took us to Jerusalem, um, now, uh, some of the things that you'll see here, and just let me talk a little bit before we get into Jerusalem, and that's what I'd like to talk to you about today, um, but uh, a little bit about Israel. Um, I pulled this off Google. This is not all of uh, Israel that you're seeing on the map. Uh, there's a little bit on the north, a little bit on the south side, on the top and the bottom, but I wanted to give you an indication of a couple things. One is just how small it is, um, 64 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Uh, which is, of course, incredibly small, you know, for somebody that lives in Texas. Um, the, entire, the entire country of Israel is, I looked this up, pretty close to the size of New Jersey, only with no Garden State uh, Parkway in it. But, um, and, the, and the population is about the same as New Jersey, so I thought that was interesting. But the, the kind of the neat thing is when you're over there, um, it was pretty cool because you... You bring up Google Maps, just like you do here, to try and find your way around, and you're looking at all these names, and you're going Bethlehem, Nazareth, um, you know, all these, all these interesting names, and you're like, this is pretty cool. I, I think I even took a screenshot of my phone at one time and sent it to Mary. Um, and so it, what's really neat, and, and most of the time, and, and most people like, like, like I did, stay in Tel Aviv, which is just a big, just like any other big European city is what I tell people. Um, Kind of struck me how liberal it was, but uh, that's the kind of the irony of Israel is that it has so many different parts and so many different just um, 
you know, you've got the, the hardline conservatives in one place, you've got the hardline liberals in another place, you've got the Palestinians, you've got the Jews, um, everybody's uh, trying, to, trying to make a big deal of something there. But uh, most of where I stayed was actually down in Ashdod. Um, of course, you look at all these other names and you go, well, why is Ashdod on there? Well, just because that's where most of my meetings were at. Um, but, you know, when I was over there, I'm like, this is, hey, I wonder, what, I wonder what's up with Ashdod. I, bet, I wonder if that's in the Bible. So, of course, you just go on Google and you type in Ashdod Bible. And sure enough, like everything, I think if you pick out any town, any city on the map of Israel and type it in, you're going to find out that something happened there. Uh, in Ashdod, that's where the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant when, uh, when, they, when they got it from uh, the, the Jewish people in 1 in, uh, Samuel. And then later on, uh, Philip the Evangelist reappears in Ashdod after he converted to Ethiopian Enoch uh, to Christianity. And then it says that he preached the gospel throughout the area until he reached Caesarea, which is in the north. So it's just kind of funny because any, any town that you, uh, you type in, you're going to come up with some kind of, of biblical history on. Um, also, just because uh, I got to say I'm not the most politically-minded person or the most uh, history-minded person, I got to say that uh, uh, I hope I'm not the only one, but I thought that Gaza and the West Bank were kind of the same thing because you hear them kind of interchangeably used. But that's not the case. Gaza's down here on the water, and West Bank's over here around Jerusalem. It's actually quite a lot larger than what you hear in the news because you only hear one little snippet. All these things were just really kind of remarkable to me from a, helping me kind of understand things. Um, the... Uh, you know, Ramallah, you hear a lot about Ramallah, and the guy is with me, he's like, oh yeah, that's the place you guys always bomb, isn't it? Talking to the, <laughs> the Israeli guy, and he's like, yeah, we, we have to do a lot of stuff in Ramallah. But, um, so it, it was just, uh, it was, it was kind of neat, and I'll tell you how neat this was. Uh, I'll tell you, it was a very moving experience to be in Jerusalem, and I was with a, uh, a Russian Jewish guide and two non-believers that were with me. Um, one was, one was from the UK, and uh, beyond being able to spell the name Jesus, I'm not sure he knew anything more about Christianity beyond that. Um, and the other one was from Taiwan, and uh, I don't believe he believed, I don't think he was Buddhist or anything. I don't think he believed in anything. But uh, so there I am as a, as a Christian touring Jerusalem with a, a Jewish guide and two unbelievers, and I'll tell you, it was still a remarkable t uh, time just eye-opening to understand that, you know, we live in Texas and, of course, the United States, um, which is huge, right? I mean, and so I don't know about you, but a lot of things I read in the Bible or I continue to read in the Bible, I don't have any clue where they're at as far as, you know, distance between those things. Um, I mean, Nazareth to Jerusalem, when you read that they, uh, that they're, you know, after the Passover, uh, Mary and Joseph were on their way back home to Nazareth, and like on the second day, they realized Jesus wasn't with them, and they turn around and go back. And I'm like, a day? Really? Well, yeah, it's 60 miles, so yeah, it would have taken a while uh, to get home. And not to mention the fact that they would have made that trip every year. So um, in, in many ways, it, was, it, it made me think, wow, it's really big. But then when you get in Jerusalem, you're like, wow, everything comes together in, in this one place. So... Um, a little bit about Jerusalem, just because, uh, and again, uh, this is with four years, uh, excuse me, four hours of uh, tour guide in Jerusalem. I'm pretty sure that you could uh, get about three weeks of, of tours in Jerusalem. So I'd just like to say that 
Um, a lot of this is based on what the tour guides told me in a very short amount of time and then looking things up and trying to put together something for this presentation today. But um, the one thing you quickly realize is, yeah, boy, there's people with like PhDs in, in the history of Jerusalem because you go on the internet and you're like, well, half of them believe this, half of them believe that, and some of them believe this. And uh, one of my tour guides, uh, I thought he was very, very good. Um, he said, uh, he goes, well, well, you know, some people believe that Jesus was crucified here, and then the other people, they believe that Jesus was crucified over here. Which one of them's right? Both of them. Uh, so, you know, it, um, I, I think as we get through here, you, you'll start to understand what I'm talking about. But you look at this and you go back and you think, my goodness, look, you know, 100, 200 years of history in the United States is pretty impressive. We go, oh my gosh, that happened two years, like, you know, 200 years ago. And, uh, well, look at, look at Jerusalem. If we go back in the Bible to 1850, that's 4,000 years ago, uh, Abraham uh, goes to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. You'll see when we talk about it, Mount Moriah, many believe, is where the temple was built in Jerusalem. So, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, you have Jerusalem talked about. And it makes a lot of sense when you, when you go to Jerusalem because Israel, uh, at least the parts I saw by and large, are very flat. Jerusalem's right in the middle and it's up in the mountain range. So if you're going to conquer a land and you're going to be in charge of a land back then, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the high ground, right? He who controls the high ground controls the, the fight. So, um, you know, again, King David in 1010 B.C., King Solomon builds the first temple in 962 B.C. Um, again, uh, these, these numbers I just, you can't even conceive of. Um, in 516 B.C., the second temple was built, and that is the temple that Jesus would have known. And, uh, so kind of get that in your mind. 500 years before Jesus uh, walked the earth, the second temple was built. Um, now, one thing that you'll learn about Jerusalem as you look through here is that uh, Jerusalem gets sacked like every 50 years. I've never seen a place in history that uh, gets taken, invaded, taken over. They wipe it out. They build something new and then until the next people come in. Um, so we'll see a little bit of that in a moment. But uh, in 63 BC, so 65, 60 years before Jesus is when Rome takes Jerusalem and their, begins, and, and their rule begins. So Rome was not new. People were not... Uh, new to Roman rule when Jesus was born. Uh, John the Baptist in 6 BC, uh, presentation of Jesus at the temple around 5 BC, 40 days after his birth. Most of you that don't know that, we, we suspect our calendar's off by about six years, the, the AD BC thing. I remember learning that. That's about the only thing I learned that, uh, that I remember learning about any of this in history. Um, 19 AD is when uh, Herod goes in and, he, and that second temple, and he kind of rebuilds it and refreshes it and makes it makes it larger, if you will. Um, now, there's a there's a reason that he would have done that. Uh, does anybody remember? I mean, he was not, certainly not a Christian and not and not a believer in Jesus. Um, if you remember, he's the one who tried to wipe out all the male children under the age of two to get rid of Jesus. But he was smart. He was in charge of a Jewish population, and he was trying to placate them. So he. Uh, you know, he, he kind of said, hey, I'm going to make their temple nice and big and large, and, and everybody's going to love me for that. Um, and then uh, in 28 to 30 AD is when you had the time of, of actually Jesus's ministry in and around Jerusalem, and so that's what we're going to focus on uh, 
today. But uh, as you move forward from that, I think it's important to note, because we're going to talk about a lot of history in here, and a lot of people go, well, how do they know that? You know, how do they know where that was? How do they know where this was? Well, if you look through here, you know, around 28 to 30 AD is, is when Jesus was, was in and around Jerusalem. But if you look at the dates later on, 57 AD is when Paul is arrested and attacked by a mob in the temple. 66 AD, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, is in Jerusalem, killed. Um, in 70 AD, the siege of Jerusalem. And then there's a, about a 70-year uh, period, 7-0, where there's no Christians in Jerusalem because they're, they're outlawed, they're illegal, but they come back. Um, later on, after they come back, Constantine the first uh, legalizes Christianity for the first time, um, and in 335 is when the first church is built in um, in Jerusalem over one of the holy sites. We'll call them. So uh, we'll go into a little bit of that, and then around 610 A.D. Because if you think, well, okay, so it's back in it's back in Christian hands, or it's back. Uh, well, no. So in 610 A.D., the Temple Mount in Jerusalem becomes the focal point for the Muslim uh, prayer, uh, followed by uh, Muhammad's initial revelation. And then Muhammad ordains uh, one, of, uh, one of three holy mosques, and he puts, where does he put one of those holy mosques? Right where the temple used to be. Um, so I don't know, maybe they had politics back then as well. But uh, the Dome of the Rock is built, which most of you recognize when you see a picture of Jerusalem, and we'll see that in a minute. Go through some more to local history. The British are ruling Israel, 1917 to 1948. Finally, Jerusalem is proclaimed the capital of Israel, 1949, 1967, Six-Day War, some things that maybe we, we remember. Um, by the way, they still very much remember the Six-Day War over there. Uh, we're driving by one of the, in, in Ashdod, and, and, and I'm like, oh, hey, look, there's some kind of monument there. What is that? And they're like, that is the furthest point north the Egyptians got in the Six-Day War. And I'm like, oh, touchy subject. It's still a touchy subject over there. Um, it's not just gone and forgotten. So again, one of the things you realize and, and, uh, is that it's not very long history-wise after Jesus was in Jerusalem. It's only about 200 years until the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the church over Calvary, uh, over where they, uh, many people believe Jesus was, was crucified. Um, and one of the things that you start to realize over there is that uh, things don't go away very quick over there. Um, you know, when you start to go into some of these places, they're like, well, here's, you know, and again, the, the church, I would just say, is, um, is where it is the initial place, and we'll talk a little bit about that again. But, but uh, by and large, old town Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, is in the same place it was 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. Um, you can see it in the architecture and the remains, and you can see it because they dig down, and you can see the layers of Jerusalem as it's been sacked and rebuilt, sacked and rebuilt on top of each other over the years. Um, I don't want to get into whether or not, um, you know, is this, you know, over there it's very quick, you're, you, can, uh, you can doubt yourself very quick over there because in my opinion, they get a little specific on some of the things that the church does. Um, this is where they found the cross that, that Jesus was crucified on and, and his shroud and the nails. So this must be the place. 
I don't know, maybe. But, but overall, I, I am very confident that, that that is Old Town Jerusalem. And I think that there's some places that um, make sense that they would have known about. And so it makes sense to me that they know even today that that was a location. For instance, I'm standing on the Mount of Olives taking this picture of Jerusalem. Um, you can see that obviously Jerusalem is a lot bigger today than it was in Jesus's time um, with the, you know, the more uh, um, younger part of the city. Because again, this is where all of uh, Israel's government is. It's a very large town. The old town is uh, right around where the temple was, which this is the wall that went around old Jerusalem. Um, this is the Dome of the Rock. A, a, uh, Muslims control this area today. This is right, this whole flat area would have been where the temple was. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that what I, what I came away from over there was people would have known things and things don't change very much over there. Um, where the Christians hung out after Christ was resurrected and ascended into heaven, people would have known about because they would have hung out in those places for, um, for years afterwards. So when you talk about the upper room, I think that's probably where the upper room was. When they talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane is still there today. Um, so, you know, some of the other things that get very specific, uh, we'll, you know, I don't know about, but, you know, if you go to the, and we'll talk about this a little bit, if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, of course there's a church there. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're like, here's the rock where Jesus prayed. I don't know, maybe, but would anybody really remember the actual rock where Jesus prayed? But they would, but they would remember that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane because it's in the Bible, and he goes there multiple times. So, um, you know, uh, so one thing to talk about, the Jerusalem of today is not the, is not, uh, the same one that Christ saw. There was no Alabama store uh, in uh, in uh, Jerusalem back then, but I just thought that was pretty funny. And, and I walked by, and, and I think I had an Alabama logoed shirt on or something, and the guy's like, hey, roll tide, you know. And this is in the Muslim quarter, which you, you learn real quick that the Muslim quarter, they are very, those guys are like master traders and sellers. But um, so they, you know, they see you coming a mile away. And that guy, remind, he, remind, he remembered me three different times that we walked by. Of course, I'm not that hard to, you know, I kind of stick out, but... Um, but, you know, some of the things haven't changed. Like, I, I just had to laugh, and I had a picture of it, but I don't think I put it in here. But there's a, there's a sign in one of these walking areas that says, Money Changer, you know. And, um, but one of, the, one of the things that really is hard to do over there is, you know, the, any place that's a holy site, a Christian holy site, has a church on it. Why? Because they were trying to save it and preserve it. And so it makes you understand things like the Crusaders that went there. Why did the Crusaders go there? Because for hundreds of years, hundreds of years after Christianity, the Muslims had control of, of uh, Jerusalem, and they sacked a lot of the Christian places. And so the Crusaders, a lot of what they were doing was going in there and trying to preserve those places. Even to this day, there's a lot of churches that save up money, and they wait for a piece of land that they can somehow buy in and around Jerusalem, you know, if it has any significance at all. So what I'm saying is that, as an example, um, this is the church built at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, of course, the church wasn't there when Jesus was there. So it makes it a little hard when you go to one of these places. 
Um, the, other, the other church over here is uh, built on the site of where they believe Stephen was martyred, the first Christian martyr. Again, um, I didn't get a chance to go in that church, but I think that's actually something that would stick out in people's minds, right? I don't think they martyred people on a daily basis in Jerusalem, so was he probably martyred in and around that location? Sure. If you go into the church, is there a rock or something that says this is the rock they threw at him? Probably, but, you know, so it's, um, but, uh, you know, and then, of course, you have the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall of the, of the temple over here, but it's very hard when you go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is built on Golgotha, to picture it as the place where Christ was crucified because there's this huge, ornate church built over it, and you're like, but I don't even, is this a mountain? Is this, you know, I, I mean, it, it kind of loses a little bit of its significance a little bit. Um, but it, uh, it's still kind of nice to see. You can still appreciate, like I said, the distances um, and, uh, and, the, and the locations of things. So if we go back to, um, as we move forward, I just want to go back to this picture. Uh, again, I'm standing on the Mount of Olives, which... The Mount of Olives includes many towns, but two of which that you'll read about in the Bible are Bethany and Bethpage, are both towns that are on the Mount of Olives. Um, notice all the notice the cemetery and, and all the graves. We're going to come back to that a little while later. But um, suffice to say, the Mount of Olives was not full of cemeteries at the time. It was full of anybody, olives, olive trees. Um, the so we're looking at a picture of Jerusalem, which is huge today. But keep in mind that, that the old city of Jerusalem was only 0.35 square miles, 224 acres, um, which I was trying to find something to relate that to. I roughly related that to, like, historic downtown McKinney in the very immediate. I mean, it's very close and packed in. It's a very small area. Um, if you look at the distance from the temple, which, again, would have been in this, right along this wall, to the garden, it's only 500 yards. So it makes sense now, right? It clicked with me when I was standing on the Mount, Mount of Olives that, oh, well, of course Jesus would have went out to the Garden of Gethsemane because in that little packed area around the temple in Jerusalem, it would have been smelly. It would have been hot because the air wouldn't have been circulating through all those corridors. Um, it wouldn't not, and not to mention he didn't own a, a house to sleep in. So if he wanted quiet and he wanted to get away from all that, well, I would go right out the, the door the, in the wall right here, and I'd go across the Kidron Valley 500 yards, and I'd be in the Mount of Olives, and it'd be open. Maybe I'd be up on the, on the mountain a little bit, and it would be a little bit cooler. So, um, but these, these distances were just kind of, I don't know, I was, it made me understand it more when I read... Um, and we're going to read some of it today, but just starting with the Palm Sunday and, and going through, you're like, oh, okay, so this could have happened in a night. Yeah, okay, now I get this because they take him to Caiaphas, and then they take him to Pontius Pilate, then they crucify him, and they started in the garden, and all of this is within, you know, it would have been a grand total of, of less than two miles of walking from, from the garden to where, you know, Christ is ultimately crucified. So... Um, that was another thing that just kind of stuck out to me, and it, and it kind of, I was like, ah, now I, I, I get it. Um, so let's just kind of walk through this a little bit. The, the temple, which uh, if you start to Google this, the, the dimensions 
and size of the temple were unbelievable. Um, and if you picture that I'm, I'm 3,000 yards away and I'm taking a picture, and again, all this open area where these trees are, including the Dome of the Rock, is all where the temple would have stood on top of this wall. This entrance, which we'll talk about a little bit while later, is the only entrance where you actually walked into the city of Jerusalem and walked straight into the temple. Um, and then when it's not in this picture, but further on the left, you can see where the steps are still there. So you can, you can clearly see where the temple was. Um, and we read about all the way through the Old and New Testament about the, about the temple. And uh, you can see that, you know, Jesus was presented at the temple, uh, which we saw earlier. Um, we can see in Scripture where he taught daily in the temple. Uh, we talk about where he was retreated to the Mount of Olives at night. Uh, he healed the blind and the lame. Um, and then ultimately when he goes in on Palm Sunday, he, he clears the temple courts because he uh, just can't take it anymore, some of the commercialism and, and things and the business that's going on in the temple. Um, but... Uh, so what you ended up, just as a point of reference, this is the Wailing Wall, which I think most people have heard of, which is where the Jews go to pray, and you can see them praying along the wall here. Um, that's the site of the, that is the, um, one of the remaining walls of where the second temple was, and it's the site on that wall closest to where they believe the Holy, the holy of Holies was in the temple. So it's, it's the holiest place that... Um, that Jews can get to and pray today. There's other places, but they're they're walled off because they're they're um, owned by, by by Muslims today, and they can't get there. So um, it's just a really kind of a neat place. I can tell you that uh, <laughs> I think I sent the elders a, a video when I was there. The Jews get very excited when they visit that area, and uh, they they're dancing and cheering and singing and. Um, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of tourism and a lot of, of, of Jews seeing that place for the first time. And um, it is a hotbed of, you can just feel the tension in the air in that area. Uh, one of the things about Israel in general was that it's the only place I've ever traveled outside of the United States where there's open carry, uh, where people are carrying firearms on their side. And... Um, I asked them about that, and they're like, yes, but, and we got it. He's like, yes, but it's not a right in Israel like it is in the U.S., and they explained it to me. You know, you, um, you go to the Israeli government, and you get permission to, to carry a weapon. But, uh, I mean, there was a guy praying at the wall, and, and he's praying and bowing like it, and he's got an AR-15 strapped over his, uh, over his, over his right arm. And uh, one of our tour guides actually had a, a pistol in his back, and... Uh, you know, I asked him about it. He's like, I would never come here without a, a pistol. So it, it just, it feel, you feel the tension in the air all around that area. Um, I didn't feel like it was unsafe, but you do, you do feel like something could just kind of break out at, at any moment, uh, especially around the Wailing Wall. Um, by the way, the Dome of the Rock, uh, again, not to get into the politics or anything, but is a coincidence that the Dome of the Rock is built on where the site of the temple was. Um, that is also because obviously the Muslims and the Jewish people and the Christians all share Abraham, and we believe that that's where Abraham uh, went to sacrifice Isaac. So the the, um, the Muslim faith claims that area too, but they uh, 
they also believe that that is where Muhammad ascended into heaven from the Dome of the Rock. So that is their take on, on securing that area. Um, and, you know, you, you say, well, why don't, the, why don't the Israelis, why don't the Jews just take it back? Well, we'd have World War III. I'm fairly convinced if uh, you start to understand that things are sectioned in Israel for a reason. And, uh, um, you know, although looking at the history of Israel, I would say that it, it will change hands again, just like it has over the, over the past 4,000 years. But um, I'm kind of glad it didn't, they didn't try and do it while I was there. So, um, all right, so let's look at a little bit of scripture in a little bit of these, in a, in a few of these places. So um, I want to start with Palm Sunday, uh, and you're looking at the Mount of Olives. I'm standing over by the, uh, where that temple, where, the, tome, where the, the Dome of the Rock is, and I'm looking out straight at the Mount of Olives, so the reverse of the other picture where I was on the Mount of Olives. But um, we see Jesus in Matthew 21. Now, when they, drew, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to, him, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you should say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and colt and put, them in, and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So I want you to kind of think about this for a minute. For a minute, There was a, a person claiming to be the Messiah who came on a donkey over the Mount of Olives um, and entered the temple. So think about that for a moment. Because... Uh, following in the next verse, it says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, this is the Golden Gate entrance to the temple. It is the one that I said earlier um, go, was the only entrance that opened directly into the temple. Um, this is If you're coming from the east and you're coming towards Jerusalem, Remember, you saw Jericho in the, in the map up above and to the uh, east of Jerusalem, which is where Christ was before he, made, before he started his ministry in uh, Jerusalem. Um, it's a very significant gate in the Jewish faith. Do you know what they think that happens in, at that gate in the Jewish faith? A Messiah comes on a donkey from the east over the Mount of Olives and enters the temple through uh, that gate. That kind of hit home, and and it and uh, and not only it's just funny that to me I don't know not funny but you're sitting there looking in the Bible going, a lot of them got it, a lot of them quickly got it. What what was happening? The significance of what was happening. Um, these things were not just done haphazardly. They they were fulfilling scripture. Um, so it kind of goes back to remember I said. Uh, right here, that I'm, I'm, look, I'm on the Mount of Olives looking at that gate, right? 
and all those graves, that cemetery is right here in front of me. It's chopped out of this picture. So why is that? That's a Jewish cemetery. Well, they're still waiting for the Messiah to come, and that's where the Messiah is going to come from. And so they want to be there. They want to be at the location where the Messiah is going to come from. And I'm like, the Messiah came. He fulfilled the scripture. He came over the Mount of Olives. He went through the gate that you're talking about. Come on. You know, it, it, it doesn't get much easier to figure this out, people. Uh, but um, anyway, you know, we'll have that discussion another day. It's another sermon. Uh, all right, so skipping forward a little bit in the story is to the upper room. And the upper room, again, we're, so here's the temple. Uh, the upper room is in the back area on the other side. From I'm on the Mount of Olives in this picture looking over the temple. And in this general area is the upper room. Um, and again, lo and behold, there's something built there today. And yes, there's a church that's preserved it. So when you go into the upper room, do you feel like you're in the upper room? Yeah, you feel like you're in a church. Uh, everybody says it's the upper room. Um, but again, this is one of those ones I kind of tend to believe because I believe that the Christians continued to congregate here after the resurrection and the ascension. We read that in Paul, or in Paul, in Acts. Um, and so, you know, hey, that's where the Christians hung out. If somebody, you know, I can see somebody in this, in Jerusalem, you know, you come 100 or 200 years later, you're like, hey, where did the Christians hang out? They're like, over there, that area. Um, it, it's, it's still not hard to believe today, actually, when you go over there. Uh, is that the actual upper room? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, it's, it's, it's in the general area. That's close enough for me. Um, but we read about it, and, and how do we know about it? Well, we read about it in Luke 22, at the Passover. And then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? Because <laughs> they didn't own, they didn't have anywhere to sleep, right? He said to him, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished prepare, and prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And of course, they had for the, the Lord's Supper there. Um, I think it's also kind of important that another reason that this area would have been preserved and known about is, is there, a, um, and this one's kind of contested a little bit in, in, by the scholars, but many believe that that's where King David is buried, um, in that immediate area. Um, now, I can tell you that I spent 20 minutes going down that rabbit trail on Google about is that really where King David's buried, uh, and, and who knows. Uh, as the guide would say, who's right? They're all right. Um, but uh, so, you know, it does have significance beyond just being the upper room. Uh, it is you know, kind of, this is the, this is the steps, the, the grand steps up to where the temple would have been. Um, the wall, that I, the gate that I was talking about is well over here on this side. So you're not very far, you know, to where the, where the upper room is at today. So, and again, you see the upper room being used over the years. So it, um, the other one, and I would say that this is the one, this is the location, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, this one just really stuck with me, I guess, because I feel like this was Jesus's quiet place to go and pray and contemplate and to get away from everybody. And 
and it was kind of obvious when you saw it. Uh, number one, there are still olive trees that are preserved in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, this is, which is in this general area right in here where, where all the trees are. And the church that I talk about that's in the garden is right down here where that bus is. Um, again, it's right outside that gate. It's right across the street, so to speak, from, from the temple. So it makes total sense that if Jesus was in the temple uh, most of the day preaching and teaching and, and healing, that if he wanted to get out of Jerusalem quick and go uh, to a quiet place, again, he goes right out that golden gate across the Kidron Valley, 500 yards, and he's in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm sure he wasn't the only one that did that. Um, but uh, again, we could all argue, and they do, about where exactly in the trees is the Garden of Gethsemane, and is this the the tree that, you know, or is this the rock, you know, you go inside, like I said, you go inside this huge church, which I understand the churches are built to protect and preserve the area, but they do kind of wipe out you trying to understand, you know, because you're standing, you're standing in a church, right, that has all this beautiful or innate artistry and craftsmanship, and, and you're trying, and they're telling you that this is the, you know, this is the rock on which Jesus laid his head and prayed, and I'm like, maybe, but I, but I do think, um, that the Garden of Gethsemane is in that general area, uh, even to this day. Again, not an area that would have been hard to know even a thousand years or more after Jesus uh, walked the earth. That garden area would have still been there. The roads and the paths, the walking paths and the roads over, over the Mount of Olives would have been there. Um, but those of you that, uh, you know, you go out, even in the U.S., where are all our roads? Our roads are where the where the horses used to go, which are where the animals used to go, which are where the cavemen used to go. What, you know what I mean? The roads have been where they're at for a long time. And you realize very quickly over there that the roads don't change because if you change something in and around old Jerusalem, uh, you're going to have so many different people that are going to complain about that. The things just don't change. And why would they? Um, so, uh, you know, we see Jesus praying in Gethsemane many times. Um, in Matthew 26, we see, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is right after they're in the upper room with the, with the Lord's Supper. Uh, and then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will be done. Um, and then, of course, we know the, the, the follow-on that where, uh, the, you know, eventually um, the disciples keep falling asleep, which, you know, as we sit here in the air conditioning, we go, what's wrong with those guys? I mean, seriously, they can't stay awake while the, while the master's telling them to, to watch out. Um, but when you go over there and you see the things, you go, man, the, the heat is incredibly oppressive there. Um, you know, there were not water fountains in the Garden of Gethsemane. They probably were in Old Town Jerusalem all day walking through where it would have been, been even worse. They were tired. They were tired. They went out. This was not a one-time thing where Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. This would have been a normal thing. We see it throughout Scripture um, where, where he retires to the Mount of Olives. Sometimes it says Mount of Olives. Sometimes it says the Garden. Um, so, you know, you've got to have a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, Sympathy for them. Uh, you know, they, I don't think anybody said, well, geez, the guards are coming tonight. I got to be on the guard. You know, the, 
they're going to come and take them. And we got, it, it would have seemed probably like a normal night to them. When, of course, looking back, we were like, yeah, that was the one night you should have stayed awake. Um, so we come out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and as you know, Jesus is arrested and he's charged. Um, and we could track down many of the places, uh, and we're not going to go through all of those today. But, uh, you know, we, he goes to Caiaphas, uh, to the high priest, to the house of the high priest, and they know where that is, which sounds, again, logical to me that they would know where that is. Um, and then he goes to see Pilate, uh, and they know where Pontius Pilate, where the governor would have lived. Um, and so that place is there, and I was able to see that. But we come to the crucifixion, of course, uh, and the death. And uh, I mentioned this early, earlier, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is, which is right here. Um, by the way, another thing, I was like, what's the difference between Calvary and Golgotha? I should know these things, but now I do. One's in Latin, one's in Greek. Um, I know somebody out there didn't know that, so I don't feel bad being the only person. But um, So as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon. This is in Matthew 27, by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is called Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it on his own, on his own tomb, which he had cut in a rock. And he rolled a great stone entrance of the tomb, in front of the tomb and went away. Uh, Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Okay, so would it surprise you that this is a, uh, that this is a debated topic, whether or not that is Calvary? Um, option one. <laughs> this is uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher that you hear about, which, uh, which again, back in the history, said right around 300 A.D., Constantine sent his mother to Jerusalem, and she was looking for antiquities, Christian antiquities, and um, it's, you know, in this location is where she found three crosses, a shroud, some nails, and maybe something else. Um, and again, the church wasn't there at the time. But uh, it's, it matches a lot in Scripture if you look at it. But again, it's hard when you go inside because it's all this ornate, orthodox um, architecture with uh, stained glass windows and then over here they had this case, and they say this is this is where the cross would have been, and this is, and and you and then but the thing that struck me that was odd is is they believe that the cross that he was crucified, and within I would say 
10 yards of where the cross was is where they believe that um, Joseph's uh, burial site was, Joseph of Arimathea. So he's crucified, they take him down, they put him in, uh, um, in the tomb. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know, that seemed kind of odd to me that, you know, I, I guess on the one hand, if you were the Romans and you were going to crucify people, number one, they would have taken him outside the city wall, which is outside the city wall. Maybe they would take him to a cemetery, because maybe that makes sense. I don't know. But it just seemed odd to me that they go, well, this is where he was crucified, and look, here's a rock with some blood on this on it, so that could be Jesus' blood. And then, you know, walk over to this side of the church, and, and that's the, the tomb. Um, I don't know. I'm not a historian, but um, it just, it just it seemed a little odd to me. Um, and then I found out, because I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I got a chance to go back to Israel again, like three weeks later for more conference rooms. Um, only this time I was smart. I'm like, I'm scheduling an extra half day because I'm going back to Jerusalem to learn some more stuff. Um, and, uh, and that gentleman, and I didn't realize it when the first guy said it. The first guy said, are you Catholic or Protestant? And I'm like, Protestant? Does it matter? You know, as I'm, 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 you know me on the security side, I'm like, you getting ready to kill me or something? I mean, because we're like driving to, to Jerusalem up the wall, you know, up the road, and he's like, so what's your background? Are you Catholic or Protestant? And I'm like, ah, do I want to answer? I don't know. I felt like saying I was Jewish at that point. Um, but uh, so, so this is the Catholic and Orthodox generally recognized location. This is the location that, that Helen, the, the mother of Constantine, said way back in 300 AD. And then you have option two which is um, they kind of refer to as the Protestant uh, answer to the Catholic Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the garden tomb, which is only two-tenths of a mile from uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I can say that when you walk into it, it immediately looks like a garden, and it immediately looks like a a tomb carved out in the side of the rock of the wall. And if you go to a different place in, uh, in this area, there's a rock structure that looks like a skull, if you look at it right, and if you know that you're looking for a skull. Um, this is a place that a Protestant, and I didn't write his name down, but some Protestant preacher in, uh, I think, uh, maybe 12 or 16, I don't remember, 12, 1600 AD maybe, said, that other place doesn't look right to me. This looks more right to me. I think this is the place. Um, and not being a historian or a theologian, what immediately occurred to me was, why isn't it both of them? Because why isn't this where he was crucified, which is right outside the city gate? I mean, there's a city gate within a stone's throw of, of that church, which would make sense because they, they wouldn't want to rile up people inside the city. So if they're going to crucify somebody... They would take him outside, and they would crucify him outside the city gate, which also had the benefit of if you wanted to leave him up there for a while to say, beware, this is what we do to people, then if they're entering the city, they would see it. Um, the other one's a little bit further away, but it doesn't make sense to me that Joseph's burial site was, was 20 yards from where Christ was crucified. So why isn't this the burial site and that the, but, you know, as my tour guide said, who's right? Both of them. So maybe that's what I was working out in my mind uh, very quickly was that both sites are right. 
But um, again, I'm not sure it, it overly matters. We know it was in that general area, um, and I can appreciate the significance of, of both of those locations. Um, and then we get to, okay, so we get to the good part, because we know that Christ didn't stay in either one of those places, did he? He got up and walked away. So um, there's a lot of, skipping a lot of the Bible as we go here, but uh, we're to the ascension, which many believe, um, largely believe that the ascension took place on the Mount of Olives. And if you look at Luke 24, it says, and he led them out as far as Bethany, which again is a town on the Mount of Olives, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And then if we go to Acts 1, 6, again, that was Luke 24. And then in, in Acts 1, we see it talked about again. Um, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of heaven? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed his, by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were there gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Which I kind of take as a little humor in the Bible. Christ is rises up into the clouds and they're all looking up and here comes this guy. He goes, well, what are y'all looking at? Um, but uh, So I guess what I would say about this as, as, uh, as, as we... Uh, talk is, it, it was a remarkable opportunity to go to Jerusalem and see the historic significance of the city and understand the geography. Um, but uh, I guess one of the things I would say is exactly what that tour guide said is, is this the actual place? I don't know. Who knows? Close enough. It is close. I don't really care if, the, if, the, if, if I was looking at the real upper room or not. There are some things I know I was looking at. I know I was looking at where the temple was, and I know that Jesus spent a lot of his ministry in the temple. I know that I was standing on the Mount of Olives. I feel very confident that I was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane or, you know, 10 yards from it or something in that general area. Um, when you read that Jesus was in Jericho, and he leaves Jericho, and he comes to the temple, he's going to go right up over the Mount of Olives um, as one of the tour guides said, there's only two roads that lead from the top of the Mount of Olives down to the temple. You're walking on one of them, so 50% chance you're walking down the same path that, that Christ took. I can believe that because roads don't change significantly. Not that it means anything to me, though, if, if you know what I mean. It, it, it's, it's nice to appreciate, but one of the things that, that I was a little taken back by was the number of people that were kneeling and praying in certain specific areas, uh, touching, you know, a, a rock or, or something that everybody said, this is the place, um, as if that place is holy. And, and to me, that, that just struck a chord because I, I just, my, I'm sorry, but my faith is not built on touching a rock in Jerusalem. 
you know, I started this with where faith lives. Um, where does our faith live? And I talked about this a little bit last week in my communion meditation. I don't think there's a special rock, wall, mountain, garden, tomb, or room where my faith lives that's going to bring me closer to Christ, that, that I have to go and, and kneel and, and touch a rock, uh, you know, because it's holy. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I think that's a rock like any other rock. Um, it helps me understand the story to go there. But I don't think we all need to go. What I'm trying to say to you is, your, our, where does our faith live? It doesn't live in Jerusalem. It doesn't live in any other holy geographic location on this earth. Our Bible tells us exactly where our faith lives. Uh, in John 14, verse 15, Jesus is talking. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it never sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see, no more, see me no more. But you will see me because I live you also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest him to myself. Sorry, should have turned that a little bit over. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, because Judas Iscariot, committed suicide long before this. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance and all that I have said to you. And so, if you are waiting until you have read or understood everything that I just read to you, or until you can go to Jerusalem and look at a magical place and touch a stone, or, or pray to a wall or a tomb or whatever, then I would suggest to you that you got it wrong. Christ does not live, our faith does not live in Jerusalem or any other place. It lives in each one of us. It lives in me as a Christian. It lives in you as a Christian. It, excuse me. It lives in all of believers in Christ Jesus. Just going back to the same thing that we said yet last week in the, in the communion meditation, we're all believers in Christ. All who believe in Christ are welcome. That's where our faith lives, not in a certain location. Those places are great to go to. It was awesome to go to. If you ever get a chance to go, I really do think you ought to go. But, um, you know, don't lose sight of where, our, where your faith lives. It doesn't live in those things. It doesn't live in the numbers. It doesn't live in whether or not I actually stood in the upper room or not or whether the upper room was, you know, three blocks the other way. Uh, it doesn't matter. So I, I would just urge you and encourage you that um, if you spend a lot of time 
in church, but you're saying things like, well, I'm just not quite there yet. I just need a little more proof, right? You may not be saying those words exactly uh, out loud, but um, what proof are you waiting on? Faith, you're not going to get to faith by, by proof, by a location, by a magical object, or by an archaeological find. Um, it may help strengthen your faith, but that's not how you're going to get there. 